Hey there, listeners. This is Jasmine Aguilera, head of audio at the LA Times. Thank you so much for following and listening to LA Times podcasts, like Asian Enough. You'll still be able to find Asian Enough on your favorite podcast platforms, but starting April 11th, you're going to see a new show popping up in your feed. It's called Foretold. Foretold follows the story of Paulina Stevens, a Romani woman who was raised with the assumption that she would leave school, marry young, and become a fortune teller. Her fate seemed pretty certain until she decided to leave it all behind. With Paulina's story as a starting point, Foretold will take you past the neon psychic signs and trendy tarot cards to unravel myths and stereotypes that have followed the Romani people for centuries. If you follow Asian enough, you already follow Foretold. Be among the first to hear episode one on April 11th and keep following for new episodes every Tuesday. Can a fortune teller change your fate? Find out on Foretold, a new podcast from the LA Times. From the LA Times studios, this is Asian Enough. Each week on this podcast, we talk to one Asian American celebrity about the joys, the complications, and everything else that comes along with being Asian American. I'm Jen Yamato. And I'm Frank Xiong. This week on episode nine of our podcast, we're joined by Jonathan Park, the Koreatown rapper and actor who goes by the name Dumbfounded. He'll talk about the days when it was really rare to find Asians in the hip-hop world. Hip-hop actually taught me to be unapologetically Asian, really, because it was so unapologetically Black. We'll also get the backstory on his Oscar So White-inspired video, Safe, and his family's journey from Korea to Argentina to Central L.A. So let's get to it. Asian Enough is presented by Little America, now streaming exclusively on Apple TV+, Plus in the TV app, on all iOS devices, and TV app-supported devices. This advertiser has no influence over editorial decisions or content. Finding the perfect present for mom is tough, especially if I don't have the luxury of celebrating Mother's Day together in person. For the past couple of months, my mom has been staying in the house to stay safe, and not seeing her in person for Mother's Day is going to be tough on both of us. I know that more than anything, parents cherish spending time with family. That's why I'm giving my mom the most meaningful gift this year a chance to connect with loved ones through StoryWorth. This online service helps your loved ones share stories through thought-provoking questions about their memories and personal thoughts. It's the gift of spending time together wherever you live. Every week, StoryWorth emails your family member different story prompts, questions you've never thought to ask, like, what have been some of your life's greatest surprises? And what's one of the riskiest things you've ever done? After one year, StoryWorth will compile every answered question and photo you choose to include into a beautiful keepsake book that's shipped for free. My family will treasure this book forever. Give your mom the most meaningful gift this year with StoryWorth. Get started right away without the need for shipping by going to storyworth.com slash Asian Enough. You'll get $10 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash Asian Enough for $10 off. Who is Jonathan Park and who is Dumbfounded? Well, yeah, like, I was just thinking about that, like, because I got my nickname and kind of went into the rap stuff when I was like 15 and I'm 33 now, you know, so that's kind of wild to think about. 
And I'm like developing a show based around exactly that question right there, actually. You know, me being dumbfounded for so long, like realizing like, oh, I don't know who Jonathan Park the adult is, you know? <laughs> I'm kind of going back closer to just being like a regular person than a rap persona now in my life, I feel, you know, just because I am in my 30s now and I don't have that like, I don't give a fuck attitude no more. Mm -hmm. Like I give a fuck about <laughs> shit, you know? So what's something like Jonathan would do that Dumb wouldn't do? It sounds funny. Jonathan seems like the complete like non-rap persona <laughs> name to have, right? Yeah. Um, I'm doing little things like just kind of like picking my niece up from like kindergarten and, and things like that, <laughs> you know? I mean, a lot of just uh, duties that I should have been doing, you know, just being more involved in like family stuff and things like that, where I was kind of doing like rap life stuff, mm -hmm. you know, and that just comes with anybody who has like a career, like being focused on that. But especially in a career like that, the lifestyle could get like pretty wild, you know, like you're in a studio, it could be really unhealthy, you know, lifestyle. Do you enjoy the basic stuff? Is there like stuff about being Jonathan that you enjoy? Yeah, like I'm in a run club, you know, like that's like some real adult <laughs> shit, you yeah, know. Right. Uh, Super healthy. Like, yeah, like oh, the Koreatown running club. Yeah, Koreatown yeah. run club. Yeah. But I, I'm I'm really just it's a mixture of like, yeah, like being a little bit more healthy, I think, just health conscious and stuff. Oh, wait, how old are you now? I'm thirty three. Thirty three, yeah. yeah. I feel like this is the age where you start trying to like figure out how to die slower, you know? <laughs> and no, hundred <laughs> percent. So dumb founded the persona was born when you were a teenager, basically. Yeah. Specifically for hip-hop? Well, not even that. It's like before I even made my first song, I was just into freestyling and battle rapping. I mean, I wasn't listening to hip-hop music, but I, was, I had no interest in making music. I was just like, I was a class clown, so let me mix in comedy with rap. And that mm. became battle rap for me, you mm. know? And it was kind of my way of just defending myself, like, verbally, because I was just like a, like a dorky, skinny Asian dude. So, but... You know, I can totally, like, kill it on some, like, verbally assaulting you type shit. So that was kind of my way of, like, yeah, defending myself, I guess. Like survival almost. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Like, just big dudes and just making fun of him, making everybody laugh at him. You know, like, that kind of shit. Yeah, yeah man, I watched all those videos in college. And something about, like, seeing an Asian American, like, be good at something that everybody wants to be good at. It's yeah. just, like... I don't know if you ever do this. Like, sometimes I watch, like, Jeremy Lin, you know, videos right, from, right, like, right. the Lin <laughs> time to kind of, like, fire myself up. There's just something, like, really, uh, You're really like, cool about seeing that. thank you for being that. good at something cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because man. I think when I was doing that back in the day, there was some Asian rappers coming up, but they were very, like, aggressive. And I think it was hard for people to take them seriously. And, and it's not that they weren't like there there were some like real gangster types but people couldn't take asian gangsters seriously then even if you were legitimately like a gangster like for me i was like kind of skinny and dorky and just being witty and funny so it was a little bit easier i think for people to kind of just be like yeah, he's funny you know and like he's not trying to be like aggressive or like hard or anything so it was a little bit i think easy to digest for people so i wanted to ask a question about being Asian American in hip hop, do you still feel like being uh, Asian American in the hip hop world? Does that make you an outsider? Do you still feel like an outsider? I've gotten asked that so many times, and I always tell people, like, you know, I've always thought it was an advantage for me to be Asian in hip hop. You stand out. The open mics I would go to, there'd be like a hundred, two hundred black kids on the corner, and I'd be the one Asian dude. And I knew that, like, at least when I started rapping. People are going to be like, okay, what is he going to say? Like, people are curious, you know? So, And hip-hop is all about, like, 
being unique and standing out. So I always thought it was kind of an advantage. I didn't think of it as a crutch at all, you know? Because you had all these sort of lines, I think. Like, there was more things to write as a rapper, right? Yeah, like, it's easier to kind of stand out. I mean, people are curious, like, is he going to be whack or, like, tight? Like, people <laughs> want to know, you know? So they're like, oh, shit, what is he going to say? I, I, don't, I think now it's, like, it's not that unique to be Asian in rapping. There's, like, a lot of Asians who rap, you know? Mm -hmm. But it's, it's, like, definitely you got to be different and stand out for sure. Being in a historically African-American space, do you still get questions about, you know, appropriation? Do you, and, and how do you deal with those? To me, a lot of the times when I get asked that, because I do a lot of college shows, and it's always like some Asian kid who's like not even in hip hop culture who's asking a question like that, who's not even involved in the culture. And I'll be honest, when I was young, when I did my first couple college shows, I got asked that like from the beginning, you know? I didn't know what the fuck appropriation was. <laughs> like, I didn't know what that meant. Like, they asked me that and I was like, I froze up because I didn't know what the word meant or anything yeah. because I was so in the culture, I wasn't even thinking about appropriation. And then I figured, I, and then I learned about it and I was like, oh, okay, that's what it means. But to me, it's like, no, like I'm, I'm, I'm very thoroughly knowledgeable about the culture and the roots of the culture and my part in it, being a guest in it or my contributions and people I've worked with. So I, I don't have any worries about the appropriation part, you know? Right. You've always felt belonging, I guess. 100%. And and that's always going to be a tricky thing. You can go to a different place and people will feel a different way, but I just know what my part has been in the culture. So. Right. Do yeah. you sometimes wish they would just, like, listen to your music? Because you rap I, a lot about, like, your own life. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of people, I mean, there's all this criticism. I've seen, you know, because I'll be on Twitter and I see so many Asian people attacking the Eddie Huangs, the Aquafinas, you know, it's like so corny. And they're like young kids fresh out of college and have this fervor of like, oh, you know, <laughs> I want to be part of something. And like all of a sudden I'm an ally, like didn't even grow up with any black friends or nothing. <laughs> and all of a sudden they're a fucking, you know, all part of this shit and part of this conversation. They want to be attached to something. And then attacking somebody for the way they talk about, uh, like the way they talk, to me, it's, it's just really corny to me, you know? Like people grow up around different environments. When someone says someone t is talking black, like that sounds racist to me in itself, you know? Like what is a black person supposed to sound like? You right. know what I'm saying? Like it's it's the same thing to me as like when someone says a black person sounds white. Mm -hmm. That's the exact same shit when they say like an Asian dude is talking black. Like that sounds corny to me and it sounds racist. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a thorny question, I think. When people start talking about Asian Americans and hip hop, you have these intentions of like, oh, like trying to police this space, trying to respect the way certain African Americans think about hip hop. I'll give an example. Like I listen to hip hop, right? And my roommate, is black uh, in college. He listens to hip hop. Yeah, we never talked about listening to hip hop. You know, like yeah. he had a completely separate of ex experience of hip hop from me. He never wanted to like be a part of mine. You know? Yeah, yeah. And so it's it's kind of interesting to kind of think about when Asian Americans are in black spaces, they do get this question so frequently. And I think the more sort of logical way to think about it is that hip hop was multicultural from its beginning, right? If you look at history, if you look at, you know, Filipino-American mobile DJs in, in the Bay Area in the 70s, you know? Yeah. If you look at the Bronx, right? There were Asians there. There's just not very many of them, you well, know? Well, for me, and, I, I, I always say it's not even about that. To me, like, hip-hop actually taught me to be unapologetically Asian, really, because it was so unapologetically Black. It actually brought me closer to, to being Asian, honestly. No, I, I think, like, Let's say you're growing up in America, you're Asian, right? 
you have two ways to learn American identity from white people or from black people, right? And and yeah, I think uh, in a lot of ways, in terms of how to become a non-white American, how to like move and take up space as a non-white American, like Asians do learn a lot from black people in that way. I absolutely think that that kind of debt of paving the way is owed to the African-American community in, in many spheres. But that's why I'm glad that we can have conversations like this, because here you're you like clearly have this affinity for the history of hip hop and its roots and its origins. I think it's a conversation that's really hard to have on like social media. It's extremely hard. Like yeah. if I said that shit right now in a tweet, I would get killed by like <laughs> so many people, on you know, Asian community, black communities. You see, my problem with it a lot of times is like these Asian Americans who grew up on hip hop culture and black culture. I think we want to attack them so much when we're trying to pay homage to that that community, you know, the hip hop community, the black community, and and for all like all they've done and all the influence that we've actually gotten from them, mm-hmm. and like people want to take that community of Asian Americans and just attack that group of Asian Americans, but when we need that voice on top of the other voices in the Asian American community, and a lot of people attacking those voices are the ones who have. They just grew up one certain type of way and can't accept that side of like Asian Americans that grew up that way. Well, let's go into how you grew up because your origin story is one of the most unique ones that I've heard. You proudly rep Koreatown in Los Angeles, but that's not really the the origin origin of your story. Yeah, well, I mean, I was born in Argentina, but I came to Koreatown when I was three. So Koreatown is really the only place I really know. I, I don't know how to speak Spanish, you know, but I'll, I'll roll my R's, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the closest. Uh, yeah, were, you, yeah. were your parents fluent then? Uh, yeah, my parents are still fluent. Yeah. It's funny because they speak Spanish and Korean. So when they came to America, like they didn't even have to learn English. They're just like, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like you're in LA, you know, Korean and Spanish, like until this day, their English like sucks. Like because they, they could just get around still, you know? <laughs> I remember I'd bring like a black friend home and they'd speak Spanish. And I'm like, he's not Latino. He's like, <laughs> it's like if you weren't Korean, they're going to use Spanish, you know, on you. And I'm like, he's not. Yeah, he's, he's this guy's white. This guy's black. And there's no <laughs> Latinos here. Like, How did know. your family get to Argentina? There was a big like migration of Koreans to South America during that time. Even my uncles and aunts, they're scattered in like Peru, Paraguay. Oh, yeah. My mom actually... When I was three and my sister was one years old, like smuggled us through the Mexican border with coyotes. <laughs> yeah, like wow. that's how we came to this country. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 wild. When did you first learn that about your own history? I learned that pretty early on. Like my mom like filled me in on what that whole situation was, but it became so much more relevant with the whole immigration conversations, you know, like I didn't really know the layers and depths of it. So that was pretty wild to know that I'm kind of part of that as a Korean guy, you know? Yeah, you have so much, like, you know, experience of of the Latino community, too, in, in Koreatown. I, I definitely think that was one of the things that, when I was coming up, uh, like, appreciated the, like, the Latino experience in Los Angeles. I grew up with a lot of Latinos more than any other ethnic group. My nickname was Chino on my block, like every like oh, a- yeah. Asian kid who's growing up in Los Angeles. There's like a Chino. I was Chino of Fourth and Harvard Street. There was a Chino on Fifth, <laughs> Sixth, like, and I thought, you know, at the time, I thought I was like, 
I thought I had a special nickname amongst the crew. <laughs> Apparently, there was way more Chinos in the neighborhood. Like, I thought I was special, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And then I met the Chino the block over, and I was like, oh, shit, okay, there's more of us. Yeah, right. and not all the Chinos are Asian. Like, sometimes they're just That's Latino true. guys. It's with, a Latino like, guy who looks Asian. <laughs> That's, yeah, some, yeah, yeah. Some sure. thin eyes or something yeah. like that. So tell us why you rep K-Town so hard. In all of your, your music, in your, like, public life, it's kind of a beautiful thing to see. And you still live in K-Town, right? Yeah. And it, the funny thing about it is when I was growing up, I wasn't embraced really in K-Town because K-Town during that time was like the AZN pride era where you had the super like Asian pride. And well, you, your family was in Koreatown during the riots, yeah, right? The time yeah, yeah, yeah. So we grew up um, all around that. And I was very K-Town, but I was kind of an outcast amongst the Asian kids who were more cooler, like long white tees, bangs, you know, smoking cigarettes in the parking lot. Like, I wasn't part of that. Like, I was a nerdy, like, underground hip-hop, pop-punk, like, <laughs> weirdo <laughs> kid, you know? And and I dressed like a, a member of Weezer, you know, <laughs> with, like, glasses and braces. So I was into weird indie shit, you know, art and art shows and things like that. So, but when I started battle rapping is when all of a sudden the Asian community started, like, riding with me, you know? All of a sudden, all these Asian neighborhood gangster dudes was like, oh, man, you're representing for the Asians. Because I was, like, <laughs> killing it on the videos and defending Asian people, you know, not yeah. because I wanted to. It was like they're attacking me. And I, that was the way I was, you know, defending myself. Right, because battle rap is so actually identity-driven in terms oh, super, of yeah. how opponents come up with bars against each other. Yeah, and I, I talk about this a lot. When I started battle rapping is when I learned a lot about what people think about Asians or what they uh, know about Asians. Mm -hmm. And I realized it's not that much shit. Because like, you would hear the same they, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they know like five things to hit you with. That's when you realize, oh, damn, like these are the stereotypes. These are the only things people really know. Or even there's a lot of things you you know, reference them to like a celebrity, like you look like this guy. Yeah. So there was always only like three motherfuckers, you who know. Did, who would you get? It was like Jackie Chan, <laughs> Jet Li, you know what I'm saying? Lucy Lou. <laughs> it was like those three. I mean, now it's like, uh, you know, you can probably get roasted with more names, which I'm like, oh, we made it. Now yeah, I can like get roasted with 10 celebrities. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's representation for you right there. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> Yeah, now I don't even think I know all the famous Asians anymore. It used to be like every single one that came along, I'd be like, oh, man, like an, an Asian in this space. I'm going to Google everything about this person. And yeah, now yeah. like 12 famous Asians in, I'm like, even like trying to That's do this great. podcast, I, like, I don't even know everybody. Probably, if I got in battle right now, if I they'll probably say something like, call me an Aquafina or something like that. I don't think they're going to be like, look at Henry Golding over here. Like, I still don't <laughs> think they're going to do that. You know what I'm saying? They yeah. definitely make like Crazy Rich Asians references. Crazy Rich Asians, yeah. yeah, stuff like that, yeah. Well, that's one thing I really love about your work within the battle rap world, especially is because seeing a lot of what you did there, including what you do with your character Prospect in the Joseph Kahn-directed battle rap satire, Bodied, which I highly recommend, which you're great in. Oh, thanks. It was the easiest role I've ever had to play. But, <laughs> you yeah. were playing a battle rap. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but what, one thing I really love about what you've done in that space is you sort of turn the lens preemptively on that kind of easy racism. And you're like, if you're going to come at me about these things, like do better than I can do because you're, you're just being lazy. And I, I, I feel like that even with Asian Americans in entertainment right now and comedy too, I feel like there's a lot of 
reaction, but there's not a lot of action in like how you rebuttal those, that anger or channel that anger. You know, it's like to me, I see the way certain Asian comedians react on Twitter and I'm like, you're more angry than like funny, you know, and you're a comedian, you know, or a writer. I'm like, why aren't you responding with some funny shit? That would have more of an impact. You've spent so long cultivating this music career of yours and evolved within that as dumbfounded. But you've recently really branched out more into acting, TV and film. We've seen you in Bodied. You were in detention before that on Power. Power, I, that was like my first TV thing. Yeah. It was, so what's, been, what's been behind that branching out? Was that something you, you've wanted to do for a long time? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I was in a, uh, when I was a kid, like 10 or 11 years old, I saw some thing on TV where they're looking for child actors. And it was like a scam thing where they charge you a mm -hmm. shitload of money and <laughs> you get headshots mm -hmm. and all this shit. But I did it. I dragged my mom to go <laughs> and do it. And I, I got an agent and I was like, I was doing commercial work. I was in like a PlayStation 1 commercial. And like, I grew up on television. So I was like a little attention whore child. <laughs> so I wanted to be in entertainment early on. And then I got into high school and got heavy into music and just smoking mad weed. I got more into music, you know? So that's kind of how it naturally happened. But I've always wanted to be a comedian, actor, you know, be in TV and film. That was my first love from like when I was young. And then now I feel like, I was able to kind of come back to it and it was helpful that I had a little bit of clout through the dumbfounded name to kind of get into rooms and pitch stuff. And so I'm kind of blessed in that way, you know, that I have had some experience in other departments to help me fuel the actor career. My next question is about that. And it's going to sound a little bit too nice of a compliment, <laughs> I think, but <laughs> it's just kind of what I think. You're a really good rapper. You know, you're really funny. You act like I've always kind of thought of you as like the Asian Will Smith. Oh, thanks, man. You know, and, and I'm just like, I'm always sitting here wondering, like, why isn't Dumbfounded in more stuff? Why isn't he more famous? And and so I thought I'd ask you, like, why don't you think I was you're waiting more for crazy rich Asians, bro? I, was, <laughs> I know. Yeah, nah. I, you would have killed it. Yeah. No, nah, no. Nah, I mean, I, I just think it's it's it was timing really for me, too. You know, I think I'm more aware of myself, too, you know, and. With comedy, you kind of need that. You got to kind of grow into this person who's a little bit more vulnerable and could talk about stuff. Especially as a rapper, that's like a genre where you flex or you put a persona on a lot, you know? And it's hard to be a rapper and a comedian at the same time, I feel like. Rappers take themselves, like, too serious a lot of times. You and know? comedians have to tap into, like, more of a vulnerability. Yeah, you can't take yourself too seriously as a comedian, you know what I mean? That's, like, the complete opposite, I feel like, when you express yourself as an artist. Like, and those two genres, too, yeah. Probably. But it's changing. I think for rappers, it's changing a lot. Like, you have dudes like Drake who's willing to be silly and stuff. But that's kind of a newer thing, really, in hip-hop. There was cast back then, but in general, overall, you know, I think we're seeing more of this, like, uh, like I'm a normal guy, like little Dicky to, like, you know, uh, uh, yeah. How did you uh, start being Asian-American at your job? For me, like, it was when I started writing about Asian-American issues and, like, started advocating for, you know, more Asian-American representation in the newsroom. And, yeah, and for me, it's, it's, it's similar. Like, I, for a long time in my career, I didn't want to lean into that. Yeah. I wanted to become respected in my own right as, oh, like, same. who I am. You I know? think everyone goes yeah, to that in every absolutely. job you have. Like, I was the same way, you know? Terrified of the pigeonhole. Yeah, mm -hmm. like, I'd yeah. get interviewed on, like, I was on this Carson Daly thing and they were like, this is the Korean American rapper dumbfound. And I was like, why was that even like, I, I rap yep. in English, you yep. know what I'm saying? I rap yep. in English 
But then I, I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. It's actually a huge part of my identity. And I, at that realization made me lean into it a lot more because I realized I hop on stage and whether or not I just want to be respected as a rapper, like they see you're a current Asian dude on stage. You can't hide that part. Like yeah. <laughs> that's probably one of the first things they even think before a word even comes out of your mouth. You know what I'm saying? It is a part of your identity. And I think you have to come to terms with that. Yeah, you, you. I remember interviewing you again at the exhibit at the Chinese American Museum, and you said something about how, you know, my Asian side of myself was something that I shied away from a oh, little bit more, yeah. and then like started I, embracing in I recent years. I relate to that. Yeah. yeah. So, what caused that? A lot of the battle stuff, like like what I talked about earlier, like that one Asian gangster that came up to me is like, you're holding it down for our people. Like, <laughs> you know, like, like in so the, the words of... the sense of community. Yeah, in the words yeah. of Dead Prez, you know, it's bigger than hip hop. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's that moment where it became bigger than hip hop for me, where I was like, oh, this is some other shit too. It's, it's, it's hip hop, but it's something else too. And I think that happens for a lot of hip hop artists too. Like that's why hip hop is such a special genre, you know, in that way, in, in that culture, because it's the music, but... It's really the things that people rap about in the music. I totally relate to that, like being introduced as a, a Korean American rapper and you just want to be a rapper, right? Like, yeah. you know, the things that like constitute our identity, I feel like, you know, American culture has made us feel ashamed of them or something or like made or them, even made them feel you internalized yeah, that like and, they're uncool yeah. or something like I'm a Taiwanese American columnist. Yeah. But if someone says that in the wrong way, in the wrong context, I'm going to be like, hmm, why'd you say that? You well, know? the thing about it is it's like no one really respects anybody who's ashamed of who they are. You know, it could be Asian. It could be Latino, black. Like if you're ashamed of yourself, like no one respects that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I don't want other kids to kind of feel the same way I did too growing up mm -hmm. in that way. I think the more specific you get with your experiences in music or art, it, it resonates more universally. Well, that's again, like why I really love when you rap about where you're from, because it paints this really vivid, very specific picture. You're proud of it. You made a, an entire song about Cafe Blue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm very, that, that's the thing about me. Like, I, all my songs are like very specific to very specific experiences. I don't just make like a love song. I'll make like a very specific <laughs> thing in a relationship that's always been my thing yeah How cafe is, blue is the uh spot where everyone goes to get drunk Korea it, town it's the night. korean entertainers like bar one night you'll go there and you'll see like daniel day kim there with like c.s lee aquafina me and then struggling asian actors complaining about the industry type shit you know like yeah <laughs> and there's karaoke yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, there's great food spots all around that particular bar, but it's not like the, it's not the most popular bar, but it is the the bar that's been around for a while. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of Asian Americans have passed through David Cho's, you know, um, Eddie Huang's, mm -hmm. Ken Jong, and people there, yeah. There's enough uncertainty to go around these days, especially if you own a business. Luckily, NetSuite reduces it by giving you visibility and control. With so many critical decisions to make, you need the right numbers and you need them right now. NetSuite by Oracle is the world's number one cloud business system. With NetSuite, you get financials, cash flow, payroll, inventory, and more, all in one place. So you have clear visibility and total control of your business. NetSuite customers have the flexibility to work from anywhere with immediate clarity on critical information right at their fingertips. No more guessing, no more waiting. Make smarter decisions with confidence. 
because you've got crystal clear visibility into your numbers. It's time to join over 20,000 companies who trust NetSuite to stay in control. Don't wait to get your free guide and schedule your free product tour at netsuite.com slash enough. That's netsuite.com slash enough. NetSuite. Business grows here. Asian Enough is presented by Little America, the acclaimed comedy series now streaming exclusively on Apple TV+, for your Emmy Awards consideration. Inspired by the true stories featured in Epic Magazine, Little America goes beyond the headlines and looks at the funny, romantic, heartfelt, inspiring, and surprising stories of immigrants in America, and they're more relevant now than ever. Episodes include The Cowboy, where a Nigerian student finds a sense of connection through Oklahoma's cowboy culture, and The Jaguar, where an undocumented high school student's life is changed by an urban squash coach. Apple TV Plus is available on the Apple TV app on iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, iPod Touch, Mac, select Samsung and LG smart TVs, Amazon Fire TV and Roku devices, as well as at tv.apple.com for $4.99 per month with a seven-day free trial. Customers who purchase a new iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, Mac, or iPod Touch can enjoy one year of Apple TV Plus for free. Get Apple TV Plus and stream all of Little America today. You made a very popular video called Safe, calling out the invisibility of Asians in Hollywood, transposing your face onto the bodies of leading actors in various big movies. Let's hear a little clip of that song right now. The sky is the limit any minute now. They gon' let a nation brother get a lead roll. Shots fired, I'm a reload. Never saw the side of Chino. He was always quiet, keeping to himself. Never mess with anybody else. That's the Jonathan that we know. Seems so safe. That song is like basically calling out Hollywood for for shutting its doors to Asian faces. Yeah, and the funny thing is that wasn't inspired even about uh, the lack of Asians. That was actually inspired from when when the African American community mm. called out Oscars being Oscar's so white. So, white, so it yeah. wasn't about it wasn't like at the time like some angry Asian person started like bringing that up. It was actually more about the black community during that time. Mm-hmm. It, it was also a mixture of that and a mixture of. Asians being, I think, made fun of at the Oscars during that time mm-hmm. um, on stage. There's like a, an Asian accountant joke. Yeah, so yeah. there was like all these people, black and white community fighting, and we are just like thrown kind of under the bus at the same time while that argument was happening. So I was like, uh, how about like, you know what I mean? It's like, it was <laughs> I love hard. That video. I love that yeah, video. so so that was kind of just a response to that. That, that was my big like angry Asian moment, I guess. Yeah. It was so funny. The effect on the face, like superimposing your face. Yeah, they face killed on that. The- I mean, I it was really easy for me, but like the 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 homies who worked on that, you know, that that video was it was like a super low budget video. Yeah. Like one of my lowest budget videos and it had the most impact, which was crazy. It's yeah. like picture dumb starring in Titanic and now I will never not picture that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like a serious commentary you were making but a very funny image. 
I feel like it was a really nice calling card to be like, hey, why why don't you cast dumb in more things? <laughs> I know. Hollywood? I know, right? I know, right? That was what I was trying more than anything. <laughs> I Yeah, I wasn't passionate about the Asian <laughs> voice and nothing. I just wanted to book more gigs. Look yeah, these cheekbones in this lighting. I just, you know? <laughs> I just wanted to book more gigs, man. And it didn't work for me on that end. <laughs> yeah, so it's have a- things changed for you acting wise? Uh, I mean, yeah. no, I mean, I'm still not getting anything. I'm still not booking shit. <laughs> but but the great thing is last year, I focused a lot on writing and developing stuff because I think I'm I'm one of those artists that kind of just has to do that. Like, I don't see myself just like, I'm going to book this one show and I'm going to be known for this guy. Like, I think I have to write these roles that, that I can relate to specifically with my story, at least in the beginning, you know, to kind of get my foot in the door. Like, people have to know me as a whole like I don't want to be known as the one guy in this show yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah you know the guy I mean? who died in that Law and Order episode <laughs> yeah like even Power when I was in Power for three episodes <laughs> and that was my first TV gig and I went in and I remember what they were looking for they wanted a Yakuza type Asian gangster with a K-pop twist <laughs> So like I was I went into the wardrobe and I, and that's what they were trying to style me as so they put me in a like I'm this Asian like drug lord son but they're dressing me up as a K-pop star. I'm like this doesn't even make any sense. Like oh, sounds like a, a, a distinctive flavor. Yeah, it's, I was a Korean drug lord son and my punishment was cutting my finger off like a yakuza. Mm. Like nothing was making sense. Yeah, it was wild. Do you have like a a favorite line or bar? Or one that you think is underrated, and that could you share that with us or wrap it for us? Um, I mean, I wrote a song recently that was like a very honest thing, and it was called "Washed," and it was literally the feeling of feeling like you're washed up in, in hip hop, you know. And that was like a, it's a funny song, but it's like super like brutally honest about yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. I had a line on there where I was like, I'm talking about like like where I am in my career, you know, where I'm like. I still don't have a Lambo, but I'm eating well at Nando's, walking clubs with my sandals, pull some strings like it's a banjo. I could probably clear a sample old enough to be a sample. I just want a couple thank yous and watch them bow down to my ankles. So it's just like very, you know, I'm not there yet, but I still, I can do this, you know? And then, you know, it's kind of sad, but. <laughs> Wait, what's Nando's? Nando's, do you know Nando's? Nando's is like a chicken spot in the UK. It's like fire. Like, it's oh. like, hey, y'all don't know Nando's? Come on, man. Y'all got to know Nando's. I've never been to the UK, man. I don't, I don't globe travel it, like It's a you, fire, man. like fire, fire chicken spot. Like okay. crazy good. Yeah. Okay. So it's that time in our program where we ask our guests to give us their bad Asian confession. Stories about times they felt like a bad Asian. And we do this to try to unpack and uncover these weird and contradictory ideas we sometimes have about Asian identity. So, dumbfounded, what do you got? I don't know, boba. Like, I don't really rock with boba. Yeah, I know. Oh, wow. I know. That's a little, that's a big one, right? Wow. Oh, my God. I just, like, caught my breath. I did not expect that. The thing about (laughs) it is, it's, it's like, I don't know, like, boba has become the staple Asian thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think it should be the the staple Asian thing. Like yeah. I don't I don't know. Like it's all right. It's cool, but it it is all right. It is all right. <laughs> yeah. You know. And there's just like a lot of all right boba around. I'm from like Taiwanese, so yeah. I grew up going back to Taiwan drinking boba and really looking forward to it. That's the origin, right? Is that yeah, okay. yeah. It's in Taiwan, you know. But yeah, now it's like this thing where people have it like four or five times a week, and I can't really get there. I, I also don't like how it's become the thing, like the Asian thing. Like yeah. you're on Twitter, everyone's like, 
Asian boba. Like that's like, <laughs> like my friend tweeted about this recently. You know, it's just mad woke Asians on Twitter, and they're obsessed with boba. Like mm. that's like the woke Asian food. Well, the funny thing is, Frank and I, early in development of this podcast, went on it like a several day long yeah. boba fact finding mission, <laughs> which means that we like drank boba all across. All across the city. Yeah. Oh, really? And into the SGV and to the west side. And it put me in like a legit boba coma. Yeah. <laughs> it's really unhealthy. I mean, it gets pretty, yeah, it gets kind of heavy, right? Like, I mean, that's a lot of tapioca. Hey there, listeners. Do you have a bad Asian confession you want to share with us? Call us at 213-986-5652. That's 213-986-5652. Maybe we'll even play it on the show. Okay, that's it for episode nine of our podcast. Asian Enough is hosted by me, Frank Xiong, and by Jen Yamato. Our senior producer is Rena Palta. Our executive producer is Abby Fentress Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin, and our original music was composed by Andrew Epen. And this podcast is, as always, dedicated to the memory of Lina Anwar. And come back next week when we'll be talking to the actor Dante Bosco, best known, yes, that's right, as Rufio. There's so many great performances that go on that just miss timing-wise. And and sometimes the right character, the right actor, the right moment comes and, and, and something happens and all of a sudden that has impact. And, and that's the luck, right? And we all hope sometime in our careers that we get to do a character like that. And if you like Asian Enough, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Jeff Berkshire, Reed Johnson, Shelby Grad, and Clint Schaff. We hope you're enjoying this podcast created by the journalists at the LA Times. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the Times is in the business of reporting them. So stay connected and subscribe because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. And remember, in Hollywood, technically, you can become anyone. A Yakuza-type Asian gangster with a K-pop twist. 